Chapter Eighteen, Part Two of Marie Antoinette and Her Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Lucy Liu. Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Mulbach. Chapter Eighteen, Revolution in a Theater, Part Two. The public continued to shout her name, but the queen felt herself exhausted, and drawing back from the front of the box, she beckoned to her companion. Come, she whispered, let us go while the public are calling, long live Marie Antoinette. Who knows whether they will not be shouting in another minute, away with the queen, we want no queen. It pains my ears so to hear that, so let us go. And while the public were yet crying, Marie Antoinette left the box and passed out into the corridor, followed by Mademoiselle Bougois and the two officers in attendance. But the corridor which the queen had to pass, the staircase which she had to descend in order to reach her carriage, were both occupied by a dense throng. With the swiftness of the wind, the news had spread through Paris that the queen was going to visit the opera that evening, and that her visit would not take place without witnessing some extraordinary outbreak. The royalists had hastened thither to salute the queen, and at least to see her on the way. The curious, the idle, and the hostile-minded had come to see what should take place, and to shout as the majority might shout. The great opera house had therefore not accommodated half who wanted to be present, and all those who had been refused admittance had taken their station on a stairway and the corridor, or before the main entrance, and it was natural that those who stood before the door should, by their merely being there, excite the curiosity of passerbys, so that these two stood still to see what was going on, and all pressed forward to the staircase to see everything and to hear everything. But the civil war which was raging within the theatre had given rise to battles outside as well. The same cries which had resounded within pealed along the path of the queen. She could only advance slowly, closer and closer thronging the crowd, louder and louder roared around marie antoinette the various battle cries of the parties long live the queen long live the national assembly down with the queen marie antoinette appeared to hear neither the one nor the other of these cries with proudly erected head and calm grave looks she walked forward untroubled about the crowd which the national guard before her could only break through by recourse to threats and violence in order to make a passage for the queen. At last, the difficult task was done. At last, she had reached her carriage and could rest upon its cushions and, unobserved by spying looks, could give way to her grief and her tears. But alas, this consolation continued only for a short time. The carriage soon stopped. The Tuileries, that sad, silent prison of the royal family, was soon reached and Marie Antoinette quickly dried her tears and compelled herself to appear calm. Do not weep more, Bougois, she whispered. We will not give our enemies the triumph of seeing that they have forced tears from us. Try to be cheerful, and tell no one of the insults of this evening. The carriage door was opened. The queen dismounted, and, surrounded by national guards and officers, returned to her apartments. No one bade her welcome. No one received her as becomes a queen. A few of the servants only stood in the outer room but marie antoinette had no looks for them she had been compelled as a constitutional queen ought 
to dismiss her own tried and faithful servants her household had been reorganized and she knew very well that these new menials were her enemies and served as spies for the national assembly the queen therefore passed them without greeting and entered her sitting-room but even here she was not alone the door of the anteroom was open and there sat the officer of the national guard whose duty of the day it was to watch her marie antoinette had no longer the right of being alone for grief no longer the right of being alone for husband the little corridor which ran from the apartments of the queen to those of the king was always closed and guarded when the king came to visit his wife the guard came too and remained hearing every word and standing at a door till the king retired in like manner both entrances to the apartments of the queen were always watched for before the one sat an officer appointed by the national assembly and before the other a member of the national guard stood as sentry with a deep sigh the queen entered her sleeping room the officer sat before the open door of the adjacent room and looked sternly and coldly in for an instant an expression of anger flitted over the face of the queen and her lips quivered as though she wanted to speak a hasty word but she suppressed it and withdrew behind the great screen in order to be disrobed by her two waiting maids and be arrayed in her nightdress then she dismissed the maids and coming out from behind a screen she said loudly enough to be heard by the officer i am weary i will sleep at once he arose and turning to the two guards who stood at the door of the anteroom said the queen is retiring and the watch in the black corridor can withdraw the national assembly has given command to lighten the service of the national guard by withdrawing as much of the force as possible as long as the queen is lying in bed two eyes are enough to watch her and they shall watch her well the soldiers left the anteroom and the officer returned to the entrance of the sleeping room he did not however sit down in the easy chair before the door but walked directly into the chamber of the queen marie antoinette trembled and reached out her hand for the bell which stood by her on the table be still for god's sake be still whispered the officer make no noise your majesty look at my face and kneeling before the queen he raised his head and looked at her with an expression almost of supplication i am tolon he whispered the faithful servant of my queen will your majesty have the goodness to recall me here is a letter from my patroness madame de campagne who speaks well for me will your majesty read it the queen ran over the paper quickly and turned with a gentle smile to the officer who was still kneeling before her and who in all her humiliation and misfortune still paid her the homage due to majesty stand up sir she said mildly the throne lies in dust and my crown is so sadly broken that it is no longer worth the trouble to kneel before it madam i see two crowns upon your noble head whispered Trollon. the crown of the queen and the crown of misfortune to these two crowns i dedicate my service and my fidelity and for them i am prepared to die it is true i can do but little for your majesty but that little shall be faithfully done thanks to my bitter hatred of royalty and my rampant jacobism i have carried matters so far that i have been put upon the list of officers to keep watch and therefore once every week i shall keep guard before your majesty's sleeping-room and will you do me the favour to so put your chair that i shall not see you that during the night i may not always have the feeling of being watched asked the queen 
in supplicant tones. No, your majesty, said Tol unmoved. I will remain in my chair, but your majesty will prefer, perhaps, to turn the night into day and remain up, as during my nights you will not be disturbed. What do you mean by that? asked Marie Antoinette joyfully. I mean that, as during the day your majesty can never speak with the king without witnesses, we must call the knight to our assistance. If you wish to speak confidentially to his majesty, your majesty has heard that during the night the watch is withdrawn from the corridor, and your majesty is free to leave your room and go to the chamber of the king. A flash of joy passed over the countenance of the queen. I thank you, sir. I thank you today as a wife. Perhaps the day may come when I can thank you as a queen. I accept your magnanimous kindness. Yes, I will turn the night into day, and, thanks to you, I shall be able to spend several hours undisturbed with my husband and my children. And do you say that you shall be here quite often? Yes, your majesty. I shall be here once every week at your majesty's order. Oh, I have lost the habit of ordering, said Marie Antoinette with a pained look. You see that the Queen of France is powerless, but she is not wholly unfortunate, for she has friends still. You belong to these friends, sir, and that we may both retain the memory of this day, I will always call you my faithful one. No, the Queen is not wholly unfortunate. She has friends who are ready with her to suffer with her, if it must be to die. The Polygnacs were gone, but Princess Lambal, whom the Queen had sent to London, negotiate with pitt has returned in spite of the warnings and pleadings of the queen marie antoinette when she learned that the princess was on the point of leaving england had written to her do not come back at a moment so critical you would have to weep too much for us i feel deeply believe me how good you are and what a true friend you are but with all my love i enjoin you not to come here believe me my tender friendship for you will cease only with death the warning of her royal friend had, meanwhile, not restrained Princess Lamballe from doing what friendship commanded. She had returned to France, and Marie Antoinette had, at least, the comfort of having a tender friend at her side. No, the queen was not wholly unfortunate. Besides this friend, she had her children too, her sweet, blooming little daughter and the dauphin, the pride and joy of her heart. The dauphin had no suspicion of the woes and misfortunes which were threatening them like flowers that grow luxuriantly and blossom upon graves so grew and blossomed this beautiful boy in the tuileries which was nothing more than the grave of the old kingly glory but the dauphin was like sunshine in this dark sad palace and marie antoinette's countenance lightened when her eye fell upon her son looking up to her with his tender beaming face from the fresh merry smile of her darling she herself learned to smile again and be happy gradually after the first rage of the people was appeased the chains with which she was bound were relaxed the royal family was at least permitted to leave the close hot rooms and go down to the gardens although still watched and accompanied by the national guard they were permitted to close the doors of their rooms again although armed sentries still stood before them there were even some weeks and months in this year seventeen ninety one when it appeared as if the exasperated spirits would be pacified and the throne be re-established with a portion of its old dignity the king had in a certain manner received forgiveness from the national assembly while accepting the constitution and swearing that indeed he could but swear all power having been taken from him 
and he being a mere lay figure that would control all his actions and govern according to the expressed will of the national assembly but the king in order to make peace with his people had even made this sacrifice and accepted the constitution the people seemed grateful to him for this and appeared to be willing to return to more friendly relations the queen was no longer insulted with contemptuous cries when she appeared in the garden of tuileries or in the voice de boulogne and it even began to be the fashion to speak about the dauphin as a miracle of loveliness and beauty and to go to the tuileries to see him working in his garden the garden of the dauphin was in the immediate neighborhood of the palace at the end of the terrace on the riverside it was surrounded with a high wire fence and close by stood the little pavilion where dwelt ad davot the teacher of the dauphin the dauphin had had in versailles a little garden of his own which he himself worked planted and digged and from whose flowers he picked a bouquet every morning to bring it with beaming countenance to his mamma queen for this painfully missed garden of versailles the little garden on a terrace had to compensate the child was delighted with it and every morning when his study hours were over the dauphin hastened to his little parterre to dig and to water his flowers the garden has since that day much changed it is enlarged laid out on a different plan and surrounded with a higher fence but it still remains the garden of the dauphin louis charles the same garden that napoleon subsequently gave to the little king of bourne the same that charles x gave to the duke de bordeaux and that louis philippe gave to the count de paris how many recollections cluster around this little bit of earth which has always been prematurely left by its young possessors one died in prison scarcely ten years old another hurried away by his tempest still younger into a foreign land only lived to hear the name of his father and see his dagger before he died the third and fourth were hurled out by the storm wind like the first two and still wear the mantle of exile in austria and england and many as are the tears with which these children regard their own fate there must be many which they must bestow upon the fate of their fathers one died upon a scaffold another from the knife of an assassin a third from a fall upon the pavement of a highway and the last the greatest of them all was bound like prometheus to a rock and fed on bitter recollections till he met his death this little garden on the riverside terrace of the tuileries park which has come to have a world-wide interest was then the eldorado of the little dauphin of france and to see him behind a fence was the delight of the parisians who used to visit there and long for the moment when the glance of his blue eye fell upon them and for some days and months had again become enthusiastic royalists when the prince went into his little garden he was usually accompanied by a detachment of the national guard who were on duty in the tuileries and a dauphin who was now receiving instruction in the use of weapons generally wore himself the uniform of a member of the national guard the parisians were delighted with this little guard of six years his picture hung in all stores it was painted on fans and rings and it was the fashion among the most elegant ladies of the faubourg saint germain and among the market women as well to decorate themselves with the likeness of the dauphin how his brow gleamed how his eye brightened when accompanied by his escort of which he was proud he entered his garden when the retinue was not large the prince took his place in the ranks one day when all the national guards on duty 
were very derisious of accompanying him several of them were compelled to stand outside of the garden pardon me gentlemen said the dolphin it is a great pity that my garden is so small that it deprives me of the pleasure of receiving you all then he hastened to give flowers to every one who was near the fence and received their thanks with great pleasure the enthusiasm for the dolphin was so great that the boys of paris envied their elders the honor of being in his service and longed to become soldiers that they might be in his retinue there was in fact a regiment of boys formed which took the name of the dolphin's regiment the citizens of paris were anxious to enroll the names of their sons in the lists of this regiment and to pay the expenses of an equipment and when this miniature regiment was formed with the king's permission it marched to the tuileries in order to parade before the dolphin the prince was delighted with the little regiment and invited its officers to visit his garden that they might see his flowers his finest treasures would you do us the pleasure to be the colonel of our regiment one of the officers asked the dolphin oh certainly he answered then you must give up getting flowers and bouquets for your mamma said one of the boys oh answered the dolphin with a smile that will not hinder my taking care of my flowers many of these gentlemen have little gardens too as they have told me very well they can follow the example of their colonel and love the queen and then mamma will receive whole regiments of flowers every day the majority of this regiment consisted at the outset of children of the highest ranks of society and it was therefore natural that they practised in the most finished courtesy should pay some deference to their young colonel but they were expressly forbidden showing anything of this feeling toward their comrade for said the king i want him to have companions who will stimulate his ambition but i do not want him to have flatterers who shall lead him to live to himself alone soon the number of little soldiers increased for every family longed for the honor of having its sons in a regiment of the royal dauphin the people used always to throng in great masses when this regiment went through its exercises in the place de la carousel it was a miniature representation of the french guards with their three-cornered hats and white jackets and nothing could be more charming than this regiment of blooming boys in their tasteful uniforms and their little chief the dauphin looking at his regiment with beaming eyes and smiling lips the enthusiasm of the little soldiers of the royal dauphin regiment for their colonel was so great that they longed to give him a proof of their love one day the officers of the regiment came into the tuileries and begged the king's permission to make a present to the dauphin in the name of the whole regiment the king gladly acceded to their request and he himself conducted the little officers into the reception room where was the dauphin standing at the side of his mother the little colonel hastened to greet them welcome my comrades welcome cried he extending his hand to them my mamma queen tells me that you have brought me something which will give me pleasure but it gives me pleasure to see you and nothing more is needed but colonel you will not refuse our present oh certainly not for my papa king says that a colonel is not forbidden taking a gift from his regiment what is it colonel we bring you a set of dominoes said a little officer named Paloy, who was the speaker of the delegation a set of dominoes entirely made out of the ruins of the bastille and taking the wrapper from the white marble box bound with gold he extended it to the dauphin and repeated with a solemn face the following lines those gloomy walls that once awoke our fear are changed into the toy we offer here and when with joyful race the gift you view 
Think what the people's mighty love can do. Poor little dolphin. Even when they wanted to do him homage, they were threatening him. And a present which affection offered to the royal child was at the same time a bequest of revolution, which even then lifted her warning finger and pointed at the past, when the hate of the people destroyed those gloomy walls which had been erected by kingly power. In his innocence and childish simplicity, the dolphin saw nothing of the sting which, unknown even to the givers, lurked within his gift. He enjoyed like a child the beautiful present and listened with eagerness while the manner of playing the game was described to him. All the stones were taken from the mantle of black marble in the reception room of Delaunay, the governor of the Bastille, who had been murdered by the people. On the back of each of these stones was a letter set in gold, and when the whole were arranged in regular order, they formed a sentence, Vive le roi, vive la reine, et en le dauphine. The marble of the box was taken from the altar slab in the chapel. In the middle was a golden relief representing a face. That is my papa king, cried the dauphin joyfully, looking at the representation. Yes, replied Paloy, the speaker of the little company. Every one of us bears him in his heart. And like the king, you will live for the happiness of all, and like him, you will be the idol of France. We, who shall one day be French soldiers and citizens, bring to you, who will then be our commander-in-chief and king, our homage as the future supporters of the throne, which is destined for you, and which the wisdom of your father has placed under the unshakable power of law. The gift which we offer you is but small, but each one of us adds his heart to it. And I give all of you my heart in return for it, cried the dauphin with a joyful eagerness. And I shall take great pains to be good and to learn well, that I may be allowed to amuse myself with playing dominoes. And the little fellow fixed his large blue eyes upon the queen with a tender look, took her hand and pressed it to his lips. My dear mamma queen, he said caressingly, if I am real good and study hard, we can both play dominoes together, can't we? A sad smile played around the lips of the queen, and no one saw the distrustful, timid look which she cast at the box, which to her was merely the memorial of a dreadful day. Yes, my child, she replied mildly. We will play dominoes often together, for you certainly will be good and industrious. She controlled herself sufficiently to thank the boys with friendly words for the present, which they had made to the dauphin, and then the deputation accompanied by the king and the little prince withdrew but as soon as they had gone the smile died away upon her lips and with an expression of horror she pointed to the box take it away oh take it away she cried to madame de tourzel it is a dreadful reminder of the past a terrible prophecy of the future the stones of the bastille which the people destroyed lie in this box and the box itself does it not look like a sarcophagus and the sarcophagus bears the face of the king. Oh, the sorrow and woe to us unfortunate ones who cannot even receive gifts of love without seeing them obscured by recollections of hate, and who have no joys that have not bitter drops of grief mingled with them. The revolution sends us storm-birds, and we are to regard them as doves bringing us olive branches. Believe me, I see into the future, and I discern the deluge which will drown us all. End of section 23, chapter 18, part 2, read by Lucy Liu.